Hello again. This is Series 14 of Satisfied. The Series 14 podcasts enhance the Adorn Yourself with Godliness Bible study, covering the books of 1 Timothy and Titus in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we saw that women adorned with godliness will view their work as more than a paycheck. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 8 of the Adorn Yourself with Godliness Bible Study. We will look at the relationship between godliness and worldly wealth. Many years ago, I heard a song by David Meese. The words he expressed to God jolted me straight up out of my chair. He repeatedly thanked God for the things that God never gave him. The doors God closed, the times God said no. That song never hit the top 40 and never will. Thank God for the things He never gave me? It's diametrically opposed to the human mindset, especially the Western mind. But regarding God's provision and worldly wealth, Christians should think differently from the world. Give yourself to the Lord first. Pursue what matters to God, His honor and His purposes more than your own. Pursue godliness even in matters of worldly wealth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see a reference to those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Just be a good person and God will make you prosperous. We still have that thinking today. Paul countered that with this statement, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's verse 6. What does that mean? Believe it or not, having godliness is greater than having money. Godliness will lead you to contentment because it stems from your devotion to God and trust in Him. Seek God first. Avoid the love of money because it is a trap. Love God more than money. God will take care of your needs, and He richly provides enough for you to share with others as well. That's what it looks like to live a life that pleases God regarding money. God's provision to us is not only for our needs, but also for us to use for His purposes. From the scriptures, I have learned three lessons regarding God's provision to us as believers. Lesson number one, God's provision is His to give and take away. Regard it humbly. We need to understand several facts about this lesson. Here's a fact. Everything we have comes from God. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 verse 7, we brought nothing into the world. There isn't anything we have that we did not receive from God. Think about it. Being in America is something I received by birth and by grant from the government. Same goes for wherever you were born or where you live. What we consider as advantages to function well in society and prosper through work, height, attractiveness, intelligence, natural talents, those are all gifts. We receive them from God in our DNA. Yet, we humans boastfully live as though we had anything to do with our genetics, our privileges at all. We tend to think of ourselves proudly as the originators of our material possessions. And when they're stripped away, we resent being stripped of our rights. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Having wealth can lead to arrogance and misplaced dependencies, putting your hope in wealth and what it provides for you. Instead, you should firmly plant your hope in God regardless of what He provides for you. The truth is, everything we have comes from God. Here's another fact. What we have is not a measure of our godliness or our faith. God's provision to you is not a measure of your godliness. Having that attitude can lead to prideful finger-pointing. We see a faithful believer who is struggling financially, and we point fingers at her. If you were living right, you wouldn't have this problem. That's not biblical. How God chooses to provide for you or me at any time in our lives is His sovereign choice. We are to give ourselves first to Him and trust Him with our daily needs as we do the work He gives us to do. Paul understood this well. He writes in his letter to the Philippians these words, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him, Christ, who gives me strength. Paul, super apostle, in the will of God, working hard, doing exactly what God purposed him to do. He should have plenty and be well-fed, right? This same Paul went hungry, sometimes lived in want. If God saw fit that Paul would be in need sometime in his life, you can bet the rest of us might also. I laugh, though, about being content when having plenty. Of course, I can do that. Who can't? But can I be content with only pancakes daily for two years, like Elijah and the widow in 1 Kings 17? Sure, if everyone else is only eating pancakes, but what if they're eating prime rib? That's hard. Twenty years ago, in the midst of a lean time for our family, a friend filled our freezer with venison. I learned how to cook it like beef, and we ate it every night for three months. And we thanked God for the gift, but we often wished it were beef or chicken. Is it possible in my American culture to be content? What about in your culture? Someone will always have more than we do. Of course, someone will always have less than we do as well, but who cares about that, right? Trusting God to take care of you and me in whatever manner He chooses is something we have to learn in our pursuit of godliness. Someone once told me that God is in the human development business. How is God going to teach us faith if He never allows us to have needs? We want to grow in our faith and mature as Christians, so we pray, Lord, make me a godly woman. But in the back of our minds, we're thinking, don't let it hurt too much. Christians having needs is part of God's plan. So when God removes our comforts and strips away our support, we whine and forget to trust in His goodness. By crying help and giving up our self-sufficiency, we actually begin to depend on God and think of Him as God Almighty, as essential to our lives, not just an appendage. Don't let anyone deceive you by equating prosperity with your faith walk with God. Our provisions are not a measure of our godliness or our faith. Here's another fact. God determines our provision the how, when, and why. Most of the time, God's provision is going to come through people, not miraculously appear from the sky. 
People design products and services to sell. They take the risk to start businesses and hire workers, including you. People buy farmers' crops, and people provide meals for someone in a time of need. In Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God told the people to pray for their communities to prosper because it would benefit them. So it's okay to pray for prosperity for your business. Just remember that God chooses how He provides for His own. We must learn to trust whatever manner He chooses. Here's another fact. It belongs to God. Hold on to it loosely. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul said not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Is that ever true? It's God's sovereign right to give you the business or take it away. He gives the house, He can take it away. We don't like that. It's hard to take, isn't it? But when we know Him and are devoted to Him, we can know that His every action is for a purpose that is goodness to us. Like that songwriter I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, who could look back and see the times God said no to what He wanted. He realized that what God did was so much better than what He had asked. Back in the 1980s, God gave us the opportunity and funds to build a beautiful log home next to a Christian camp in South Dallas. A couple of years later, He restricted our provision, which forced us out of that house and moved us to a different town. Then, through an unexplainable, quirky series of events, He gave us that house back, which provided rental income for us for a few years until we sold it to that camp for staff housing when they asked for it. I experienced a lot of pain during that time and wondered, what are you up to, God? Didn't you give us this house? It was His to give and take away. I am humbled now as I recall what happened and see how He accomplished two purposes, getting me to a place where I had the opportunity to develop as a minister to women far more than I would have if I had stayed in that house, and secondly, providing for that camp's needs through our hands. That's lesson number one. God's provision is His to give and take away. Regard it humbly. Lesson number two is this. God's provision is always enough. Receive it gratefully. According to the dictionary, enough means as much as is needed or can be tolerated. I think I can tolerate quite a bit when it comes to money, don't you? But maybe God knows better. The Bible says in 1 Timothy verse 8 that we should be grateful for whatever God provides. When you have the Lord's provision, you lack nothing that you need at this time in your life. It's what you have, not what you don't have. Rejoice at what you have instead of complaining about what you don't have. Enjoy what He has provided. That's how you live out your gratitude. What was enough for Jesus, the God of the universe in human flesh? During His ministry, He didn't have a 10,000 square foot house and servants to care for His needs. God continually provided for Him, often through women, and it was enough. As Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6:17, our hope is to be in our God, not in prosperity, current or future. Lesson number two, God's provision is always enough. Receive it gratefully. Lesson number three, God's provision is meant to be shared. Give it generously. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wrote about the offering being collected for the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering terrible hardship. 
Paul referenced the Macedonian Christians in northern Greece who had collected money for that cause. You looked at what Paul said about them in your lesson. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. That is so radical. Extreme poverty, giving generously. That goes so against human nature. When Paul referred to their rich generosity, he used the same Greek word in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 for God's riches. When he said, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the key. God's riches to us are supplied through us to meet another's needs. Those early Christians are an amazing example to all believers, including you and me, of the dynamic difference that God's grace can make in the mindset of His people when it comes to provision. They gave themselves first to the Lord. The Macedonians were rich in the gospel, but poor in material possessions. Back to 1 Timothy, some of the Ephesians were very rich in both the gospel and in material possessions. So, what was Paul's command to them in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Use what God has given you to generously help others. There's no percentage. It's no different than what the poor Macedonians did. When you regard God's provision as being supplied to you to not only meet your own needs, but also to meet the needs of others, your attitude toward money changes. That requires trusting God, not having plenty. How you handle whatever provision God gives you reveals how much you are adorning yourself with godliness regarding money. An old poem says this, It's not what you would do with a million if riches should e'er be your lot, but what you are doing at present with the dollar and a quarter you've got. That is the truth. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 12 about a rich man who kept building bigger barns to hoard his surplus grain to take care of him for many, many years. He put his hope in his riches. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. None of us knows our death date, but all of us can live each day being rich toward God and generously sharing what He has provided to us. Godliness is viewing God's provision as something belonging to Him and not to be hoarded for a future use that may never come. Gratefully receiving 
and generously giving comes from the overflowing joy of knowing Jesus Christ and what he's doing in your life. Whether you are the receiver or the giver, how you do both should be different than what the world does. Give it generously. Godliness begins with devotion to God. When you're devoted to Him, you view His provision as belonging to Him. You enjoy what He provides with contentment. You put your hope in God rather than wealth as a protection from falling into the traps of those whose hope is in getting rich, however you can. By generously sharing with others the very riches He gives to you, you lay up treasure for yourself in heaven as others see your godliness and are drawn to believe in the God you love and know. And all of that brings glory to the same God who is the object of your worship. It's a win-win. Let Jesus satisfy your heart with such love for God that you will want to live a life that pleases Him. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 14 of Satisfied.